As a driven dentist, you see the world differently. Where some see scarcity, you see abundance. When others want to give up, you keep going. You're building an amazing life of significance. That means you can't rely on ordinary advice from ordinary advisors to get to your goals. You want advice that's going to help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love, the causes you care about, and make your dent in the universe. But the fact is, this advice remains hidden because relatively few professionals are well-versed in them, and the extremely affluent don't care to let you know about them. Join us as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families. Welcome to Dental Wealth Nation. Here's your host, Tim McNeely. Hey, welcome everyone. I am so excited to have you here with us today. And you know, we're going to be talking about M&A and M&A is so important. Exiting your business is so important. And by the time we finish today, you're going to know what options you have for exiting your practice because there are more than you've ever had in your entire life. And you're going to know how you can sell your business on your terms without regret. You're going to have a much deeper understanding of the M&A market, what's going on there and how to truly exit at the top. But most importantly of all, you're going to feel confident and empowered to make even better decisions when it comes to planning your exit. And when it comes to help dentists and practice owners and business owners exit their business, one of the best is Kevin Cumbus. And Kevin has spent 10 years in investment banking, but over the last 16, he has worked helping dentists just like you exit your practice on your terms. But what you may not know about Kevin, we're going to get into this, is this is personal form. He actually grew up working in his dad's dental practice. Kevin, welcome to the show. Tim, it is great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it, it's a, a pleasure. And and what an exciting time to, to be in M&A. There's just a little bit of activity going on these days, isn't there? Yeah, it's funny. When the, when the private equity companies show up and back the Brinks truck up to the dental industry, M&A activity really starts to pique the interest of, of dentists everywhere. It, it's been a, a heck of a run over the last uh, 10 to 15 years, and it seems as though the velocity of the consolidation continues to accelerate each and every year. Yep, very true. And, and what I'd like to actually maybe start with is just give us a little overview of the, the overall market. Like, like, how did we get to where we are today? And then let's pull out our crystal balls. And I know our crystal balls sometimes can be a little fuzzy, but, uh, but let's try to take a look at where we're going. So how do we get to here and where are we going from, from here? Yes. Yeah, so, so let's let's start. So about 16 years ago, I started my career in the dental industry. I, I worked on Wall Street. I worked with publicly traded businesses. I was accustomed to things like price to earnings ratios with respect to value. I was accustomed to terms like EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. I was accustomed to businesses trading on a multiple of EBITDA, meaning if you get a 10x, 10x deal, it's your EBITDA times 10 equals the enterprise value. That's the world I came from. Then I showed up in dentistry 16 years ago, working for a, a dental brokerage business. And, and my boss at the time said, yeah, yeah, yeah. None of that stuff applies to our industry. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? He said, no, no, what you don't understand is in dentistry, again, this is 16 years ago, um, dentists only sell to other dentists. And the value of a dental practice is limited by the buyer's ability to pay. Okay, I understand, but what can they afford to pay? Well, they're only gonna pay what the bank is gonna loan them. 
like, oh my gosh, so what's that? Well, it's probably 70 to 85% of revenue. I mean, that's the world we were in 16 years ago. Again, there was artificial ceiling on valuation simply because a, a dentist buying a dentist practice was only going to pay what he or she could get from the bank. Well, I did those trades for a period of time, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, came Heartland Dental Care. And they go, look, we, we can pay more. Well, they were paying 100% of collections. Oh, that was a lot. It's a big lift, right? And this was really the first wave of, of, in, of, of DSOs entering the market and Dennis going, oh, my gosh, my practice is worth so much more. Well, look, I, I befriended the folks at Heartland. I think what they have done is excellent in the market. Got to know the leadership team, and they were kind enough to give me a peek behind the curtain. And they go, listen, Kevin, this is what we're really doing. We're paying four times even off of these businesses. It just happens to equal 100% of collections. Oh, by the way, we've talked to our bankers. We think down the line we're going to trade it 10 times EBITDA, which means we're going to get a six times arbitrage on where we buy and where we sell. Boom, light bulb comes on. I'm like, okay, wait, wait, wait. Now this is starting to sound like Wall Street again. So that that's naturally where, when that began to happen, others took notice. And that's where this burgeoning business of the DSOs really came into being. So that that's when private equity started to really come in. Yeah, and I actually want to pause there just for a moment because you just covered a whole lot of stuff. And I know some of our listeners hear that and they're tracking. They're like, oh, yeah, I totally get that. Other listeners may be like, wait, what the heck did you just say? And and so, so right, why was Heartland paying more for these practices, right? If, if the banks are lending 70 and, you know, you got a million dollars, you're getting 700. Why would Heartland come in and give you a million? What's the play there? Yeah, so, so Heartland, um, Heartland always knew what their future value was going to be, right? So they had really, really smart people, investment bankers they're working with that said to, to the founder, Rick Workman, look, what you need to know, Rick, is if and when you're a, ever ready to sell, uh, because you're such an acquirer of EBITDA, the more you buy, the more valuable you become. And you're already at the level where if you were to sell today, you would be worth 10 times the EBITDA on the business as it's constituted today. Well, he and his CFO and others take that knowledge and go, well, we just need to buy more dental practices at the most affordable price we can so we can get the so we will net be the net winners of the difference between where we buy, let's say at four times EBITDA and where we sell at 10 times EBITDA. So let's put some math behind this. So if I buy a million dollars of EBITDA from a seller at six times for six million dollars and I know that I can sell that million dollars of EBITDA for 10 times or at $10 million, I've created $4 million worth of value through that one acquisition. That's what they knew. And that's why they were willing to pay 100% of collections, which again, equated to four times EBITDA. Yeah. So so really then the, the practices were more valuable as part of a larger entity than they were standing on their own. 100%, right? So we've seen this playbook many times before. We've seen it in the physician world years ago, right? For individual physicians, we're selling the hospital systems because there's there's some things called like synergistic scale. Um, the bigger we get, the more we can start to cut cost and raise revenues. Um, they get power over the providers, such as the insurance carriers, and they have leverage in the negotiations with those payers. And they know that they can push on them to increase the reimbursement rates and also push on the supply companies to decrease their costs. And those two, they get the synergistic lift as well. 
Okay. And so now really we find ourselves in a, a market today where the, the larger group practices, the DSOs can still afford to pay more for a practice than just an individual buyer going to the bank then, correct? Yeah, hundred percent. Right. So, I, you know, I, after I was brokering practice, I went to go work for a DSO for a little while. And I, and I, and I got to see this in real time, watching us buy low and sorry, buy low and sell high. Ultimately, the company I was working for sold for, they, they went from 120 locations to 210 and they sold for $800 million. I said, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Uh, as I, I built, I built a dental practice and was talking to other entrepreneurs and was blown away, Tim, by how little dentists and other entrepreneurs knew about the value of their business. Uh, they were still selling too low, right? If, if Heartland can sell at 10 and you're selling at four, you're leaving too much money on the table. And really th this, this disparity of information is what drove me to start Tusk. I said that, that we, we got to drag more value over to the seller to make sure that we, we kind of square the ledger and get more of that value over to the seller mm -hmm. because the buyer is making too much. They're making windfall profits. Wow. Well, and, and I'm guessing part of that philosophy and, and part of kind of that ethos came from working in your dad's practice and knowing just how hard dentists do work to, to build the lifetime of value. Yeah. I, you know, dad, uh, I was, I'm 46 today. He practiced every, every day of my life. He was there four days a week, but on that fifth, he's clinical four days a week on that fifth day, he was sweating payroll. He was paying bills. He was worried about the marketing where the patient's going to come from. He made it look easy because he didn't share with us all that. But over the years, you really start to see it. Dentistry's hard. It is physically demanding. You are the CEO, COO, CFO, uh, chairside clinician, uh, many times chairside psychiatrist or psychologist in your business. And, and, and it, for all that work, you end up getting paid last. It is not easy to do what, what your clients do and our clients do. Yep. So I, I just felt like it, it's, it's only right that the dentist make more when he or she is ready to exit their business. Yeah, no, that, that, that's fantastic. And so, so once again, we kind of find ourselves then, I guess, almost in kind of a bifurcated market today, where if you are looking at an exit, you've got to consider what kind of buyer you're looking for. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I should, I should say like full disclosure, disclaimer here. Uh, my, my father sold his business. He did not sell to a DSO. I think that's important to know. And I also don't believe everyone is a good fit. Um, and, and at Tusk, all we do is work with dentists who want to sell to DSOs or private equity groups. But our real purpose is to inform. Um, if, if your listeners can take away one thing today, it would just be to realize how many buyers are out there and what your options are. So, so let's talk about that for a minute. Um, yes, you can sell to a dentist. You're probably still going to have that artificial ceiling around valuation that's going to be, let's call it 80% of your revenue. Alternatively, um, you can explore a sale to a DSO, and on average, our clients that sell to DSOs exit north of 200% of collections. Vast difference in valuation, uh, but they also come with some obligations post-sale. Right? So if you're selling to a DSO and you're an individual dentist, I cannot let you retire on day one. Remember, I, I'm a business, not a dentist. And the biggest risk inside of a, a dental practice is that the clinician's going to leave because I, I don't have those magic three initials behind my name. I can't swoop in there and do the crown and crown of the bridge. 
Uh, so there's a post-sale employment term that comes along with it where you're going to be required to work in the business that you have built and sold to me. And then there's also going to be some restrictive covenants around non-compete and non-solicit. Um, but if you can get comfortable with those terms, the, the exit value is normally more than double than you could receive in a doctor-to-doctor -doctor transaction. Wow. So really, it sounds like the things you have to be okay with is you don't just want to exit dentistry completely. You have to be okay with, with staying on, doing some work back, and then you have to be okay with not running down the street and opening up another dental office. That's right, Tim. And, and, and look, I, I, some people uh, that we talk with, they're like, I can't stomach the idea of, of having a boss. I get it. Like you've never, if you're, if you had built your business brick by brick, patient by patient, team member by team member, and you've been able to live your life as, as you want to go on vacation when you want to see a patient when you want to leave when you want to. The idea of having a boss does not appeal to many people. <laughs> so we get it. But what we want to do at Tusk is make sure that people are making informed decisions. Um, so so long as you're armed with all that knowledge, make whichever decision you think is best for you. Yeah. Now, are all the DSO buyers the same or are there some differences between the, the different acquiring practices out there? Yeah. So there, there today, um, there are the numbers changing almost on a weekly basis, but somewhere between 120 to 150 private equity backed DSOs. It's 150 private equity backed businesses. Now, there are thousands of doctor owned groups that are debt funded that don't have private yet, equity yet in them. I mean, that's a vast number of businesses. So are they all equal? No way, not even close. Uh, the leadership is different, strategies are different. The value of their equity inside of the business is different. Uh, their expectations around employment and compensation are different. It is, it is uh, and, and that's really part of what I love about it so much uh, because every one of them is is so different. I, I'll just give you one one example uh, to help elevate it. I'm sure it's something that's on all your listeners' minds. We get asked all the time, what's going to change if I sell to this practice? Well, if you, if you sell to one DSO that I'm thinking about right now, um, just about everything, um, they're going to come in and they're going to change your software. Um, yeah, they're going to change your payroll provider. They're going to change your accounting. They're going to change the name on the door. Uh, they're going to fly your team out to their corporate office and you're going to learn their way of scheduling, their way of booking patients, their way of calling. And doctor, they're going to change how, how much time they give you to actually do a procedure. Hmm. They're going to change the marketing team. They're going to bolster the business. And, and they have a great track record of doing all that for dentists who are bought in. But you got to buy into the system. So hmm. that, that is kind of one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum is a buyer who will come to you and say, Doc, we love you. We love what you're doing. Don't change a thing. Call us if you need us. If you need help like with marketing, we can help you. If you need help recruiting a dental assistant, we can help you. But we're buying you because you are amazing and we want you to continue to be amazing. And how can we help serve you? Hmm. And between those two points, there's 150 other points that kind of live between that. So, Tim, wow. they're all so different. So, so I'm guessing really kind of the, the process starts off by by envisioning what you want your future to look like, right? What do you want your exit to, to look like? Like we were talking about in the beginning, right? How do you exit your business on your terms and how do you do it without regret? Yeah, I, I would say that the first thing I'll, I will, we get a bunch of email calls. Hey, I, I heard about you. I want to sell to a DSO. Okay, let's, let's first things first. Okay, first things first. 
Um, there is no rush to do this. You do not need to have fear of missing out or FOMO. That is not it, just because your buddy from business, dental school sold, that does not mean you need to sell. First thing you need to do is work with your financial planner and understand where you are on the scale to achieving financial independence. Because the question I ask is, if, is the sale of your business the linchpin to your retirement or is it the victory lap to your retirement? Hmm. And if they can't answer that question, I say, you need to talk to your financial planner. We'll do the exercise, but I, I never want to sell someone's life's work and likely their biggest income producing asset and their most valuable asset without them knowing the answer to that question. So that that's the first thing. Hmm. The second thing is I ask them, tell me what five years looks like. Give me the dream. Give me the vision. Where are you? What are you doing? How, how, how can this, the sale of your business serve you in your goals? And, and for, and there's not a wrong answer, right? For some, it's, I just want to get out as fast as I can and spend time with the grandkids. No problem. For others, it is, I need to maximize value, sell as much as, sell as much as I possibly can. I don't even care who the buyer is. I can do anything for two years. Just get me the top dollar. And another vision might be, you know what? I've got two practices today. I, I, I'm really good at what I do, but I'd like some institutional knowledge to scale and grow to 22 locations. Perfect. There are buyers for every one of those three unique scenarios. Wow. Okay. So, so really that, that clarity of, of what does the future look like for you? So, right. We've been talking about just kind of the general environment, where we are now, how we got here, some considerations. So when you do start looking at exiting, right, I know it can be tempting because we see some big valuation numbers. And I love that you, you kind of frame that as, hey, is this the, the linchpin or the, the victory lap for you? But, but where in your career should you even consider exiting? Do you, should you only consider it if, if you're at the very tail end? Or does it sometimes make sense to exit somewhere in the middle? Yeah, this is a really good question. Um, we have worked a lot. The, the, I, I, sharing this makes me really, really happy, but some of your listeners, are good, their mind is going to be blown. <laughs> so we have worked with three dentists under the age of 40 who have sold their individual practices north of $14 million. So why did they sell? Uh, what were they doing? Um, you know, I, I don't know if your listeners or you, Tim, have, have read Die With Zero or if you read Buy Your Time Back. But there's a philosophy out there that says, hold on to your business as long as you have to and not a minute longer because owning a business is risky. And if I could sell your business for $14 million, get you $10 million in cash, and that was enough for you to achieve financial independence, and you had other passions, and there's other things you wanted to do, maybe you would want to consider it. We work with a lot of young entrepreneurs who just happen to be dentists. And I think there are a lot of people who listen to your, your podcast and this show who certainly fit that bill. Um, so it, I don't think that there is a, a right time, uh, but I'm sh I can promise you there is a wrong time. The wrong time is when you say, look, I've had a great year. I'm going to start taking my foot off the gas and I'm going to let my revenues decline a little bit. And I'm too nice to terminate anybody in my business because they've been with me for 20 years and your margin is going to start to get compressed. And next thing you know, you have a business that is just in business to serve the patients and the team and is not creating free cash flow that any buyer would actually buy. That It's too late at that point. Uh, yeah. and keep in mind, if you're going to do a deal to a DSO, 
they're going to require you to work post-sale for three years. So if you say, I'm ready to sell today, that's going to be a doctor-to-doctor trade at 80% of collections. But if, you're, if you've got three years, four years, five years left in the tank, you should explore the possibility of selling to a DSF. So wow. again, never too early, but certainly it can be too late. So, I mean, it's really worth having the conversation, right? And, and, and this is what I help clients do is just like you, right? We're thinking through what do ideal scenarios look like for you? And in fact, in my book, Dental Wealth Nation, we really talk about the, the importance of eating clear on where you want to go, because the more clear you are on what you want to have happen, all of a sudden making choices becomes a lot easier because you can see is that choice in alignment with what I'm attempting to achieve. So I love that you share that philosophy. Oh, 100 percent. You know, we 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 hosted an M&A conference uh, earlier this summer with 100 attendees. And and my message to them was very similar to what you just shared. It is you you need to determine what's important to your life, because, Tim, I I think all too often we, we start a business like you did and I have and your listeners have. And it's hard, right? It's really hard to get this thing off the ground and break through the gravitational pull of, of, of kind of getting it moving, hiring the right people. And, and then you do that and you do that as a dentist and dentist, gosh, it has so many fixed costs, right? And you finally break through the fixed cost barrier. And then I'm just paying variable costs like dental supplies and laboratory expenses on the revenue. And I start to get profitable. And, and all of a sudden that I, I get good at this game and it gets easier and it gets easier and it gets easier. And next thing you know, we're, we're just, in a we're just kind of in a, in a rut. We're in a cycle. We're, we're showing up, we're doing it just because it comes naturally. And what we're chasing is just, just more. And we don't even know why we're doing it. Right. So I, I I'm really trying to, to come to the table and say, take a beat, discover really what you want, what's important to you. Let's get your practice valued. So, you know, with certainty what it's worth. So you can really begin to plan on what version 2.0 of your life could be like. I mean, with, with the guys that were under 40, whose businesses we sold, they all had a vision for what they were going to do for the next five years. But some of them are in RVs out in national parks. Some of them are trading crypto down in, down in Puerto Rico. And I, I mean, they're, they're all over the map, but they're living, a, they're living the life that they wanted to live. And they saw dentistry as a conduit to help them get there. Yeah. Right. It's amazing what happens when kind of you get the the proper order of things in. And so often we start with, right, what do I do is like the core driver of our identity instead of who am I as the core driver of identity. And so that's a whole other show in and of itself. But right. When you find out who you are, you can really do some amazing things. And so, you know, in, in looking at acquisitions, is this something that really is only good for general dentists or does it also work for specialists? Does it work for for someone in Prost or Indo or Ortho. Yeah, th- this, this is so fascinating to me. Uh, private equity got interested in general dentistry first because it had a recurring revenue component called hygiene. They said, look, we, we like GPs because there's less risk because we have this every six month visit by the patient and that recurring revenue stream they really, really liked. Well, there, there, were, there really wasn't a great consolidator or aggregator of specialty until a business by the name of Smile Doctors came around. And Smile Doctors went from zero locations to north of 140 in three years and sold that business. So that was the first one that hit. Um, since then, there have been more, there's been more creation of DSOs in the specialty space than there has in the GP space. It is the fastest growing sector in the DSO world. Uh, 
it was orthodontics, then it was oral surgery, then it was endodontics, now it is perio. Oh, sorry, uh, pedo went, went right there with ortho as well. There is a, a, a DSO that wants to partner with every specialty out there. There are sleep specialists, implant specialists, you name it, Tim, it is out mm. there. Okay, because uh, I know what, some of the, those practices, especially in the PROS world, those can be traditionally harder practices to step away from. Oh, when we would try to sell them to another dentist, they traded well below 80% of collections uh, for a couple of reasons. One, um, that, that work that the prosthodontist is doing is really high level. you got to be very, very good at that. And there's key man risk associated with the prosthodontist practice because I, I'm going to see that prosthodontist, right? Not the brand, not the building, not the location. I'm going to see that expert. The other issue is there's not a lot of prosthodontists graduating. graduating. All right, they're not allowed to coming out of residency. So the supply of prosthodontists is very low. This, the DSOs coming into the space actually unlocks a ton of value for specialists that at one time um, sometimes like walked away from their practice and threw away the keys. I know multiple endodontists in the state where I'm from in Alabama, they just walked away from their practices and sold the equipment for pennies on the dollar. If they just held on another four years I mean, we could have gotten them two, three hundred percent of collections. That's how that's how quickly the industry has changed. Wow, absolutely amazing. So, right, if you're a, a doctor and you're thinking about, you know, looking at exiting and or you know, entertaining these offers, you know, there, there's certainly a lot of direct mail pieces going on. There's a lot of Facebook ads, right? Should we be calling up these DSOs and entities directly, or does it make sense to? partner with them in an advisor like you? What are, what are some of the benefits and the pros of cons of, of kind of going each way? Yeah, I, we, it's interesting. So they're, they, okay. DSO, so again, 150 private equity backed DSOs, war chests of cash. The way that they return money to their investors is through growth, through acquisition. Uh, they are capitalists, just like you and me and everybody on the call. That's great. Capitalism is not a four letter word. I love capitalism, but they do Amen. too. And their, their game is buy low, sell high. Oh, by the way, you're the target, so they want to buy you at a low price. Armed with this background, when someone calls at you and says, hey, I'd like to, to learn a little bit more about your business. Can you send me your financials so I can take a look? Do not send them your financials at that point. And, and, and let me tell you why. It, it's kind of like you're sitting out at your, your home and you're at the front yard and you're you're sitting in the in the bench and you're swinging back and forth and enjoying a nice fall day with coffee and you, you see that there are weeds that you should probably pull and there's paint chipping on the patio and the shutters a little akimbo and there's laundry all over the house and you're like i really should clean all that up and you haven't gotten around to it and someone comes to you and says i'd like to buy your house can i take a walk around you would never allow them to walk around your house at that point ever you want your business to be primed and prepared, just like your house would be if you were going to take it to market. A business is always in motion, and there are things that we can do, Tim, to help window dress that business so it shows best. When you just fork over a profit and loss statement, you're putting all the power in that business development team member's hand to say, look, you, you built a good business. I, I see some areas of improvement here or there but I'm willing to pay you this. Why don't we go ahead and get started? Hmm. Um, we we had a, have a client that, that was sharing with us, you know, the minute you sit down for dinner with those guys, you're done. They are pros. They are good at what they do. They're going to make you feel good. They're going to buy the nice bottle of wine. 
uh, but they are in it for the money. So no, I, I just, my, my recommendation is hit pause, call your financial advisor, call Tusk, let us help you. So you make a less emotional decision about this. This should not be emotional. This should be a business decision first. Yeah. No, I, I agree that that's such great advice, right? And having an advocate, someone to defend you is so important because, you know, a lot of advisors, they delight, they, you know, provide exactly what they're supposed to provide, but they don't go anything beyond that. And really, I think the highest level in today's world is defending your clients and actually fighting for them and being an advocate. And I think that's so lost in today's world. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I wouldn't do a root canal on myself, right? That's not the world I know. Um, at Tusk, we do, we've done hundreds of transactions. It's the only work we do. We know the entire buy side, and we get great joy in bringing a client to market, painting them in the best light, and then pitting these buyers against one another uh, and run this competitive process so we ensure our client's going to exit at the top at the highest valuation with multiple offers to choose from. And then, and then Tim, this is what really makes me happy is when the client does not pick the top offer, but they pick the right partner. I'm like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, that, that, that to me is a home run of a transaction because they've seen the entire waterfront of opportunity. They know that every bidder out there has been tweaked to the top valuation, and then they choose with confidence, exit with clarity and without regret. Hmm. Oh, I, I love that. And our, our listeners are making some comments too. So Justine says, Honoring your priorities and gaining that clarity is priceless. Great points. And thank you for that, Justine. And then uh, Renee says, so glad she's tuned into the show. Renee, we're glad to have you. Thank you for your comments. If you've got questions, put them down below and we'll have Kevin answer them live for you because we want to certainly serve you and help you understand what's going on in the market. So we've been talking about M&A. We've been talking about DSOs, how to exit, what exit thing, thing looks like. And you know, kind of coming back to the, the numbers piece, because everyone loves numbers, Kevin, don't they? I, I mean, on, on our team, they do. We all yeah. we love them. We live with them every day. Yeah. I, I, and there seems to be this number that gets tossed around everywhere. And that number is 10x, like, like this 10x multiple, right? Everyone says, I want to get 10 times, 10 times, 10 times. Why are we so focused on this 10x number and what does it mean and why do we hear it right when you're when you're hanging out with your dental friends and they're like oh i'm looking at a 10x like like what are they talking about and why does this number matter yeah i can't tell you how many times i've been at conferences and overheard people at the bar say you know he got a 10x multiple I, I, i'm not selling until i get a 10x multiple okay part of this is ego part of it's bravado and part of it's emotional attachment and so let's just go ahead and get get all that out of the way and then let's talk about what it really means uh, what they're saying is I would like I would like 10 times my EBITDA for valuation. So if you've got, uh, uh, let's say this. So if you've got a $5 million revenue practice with a 20% EBITDA margin, so you have a million dollars of EBITDA, if you got 10 times that, you would get 10 million bucks, right? Pretty nice. Pretty nice payday. Payday. Yeah. Um, the reality is um, that is just the enterprise value, right? So that that 10 times the enterprise value in that case is, is $10 million. Um, but the enterprise value is actually, that's the tip of the iceberg. Below the waterline, below that $10 million or 10x deal is really what matters, right? It, it is, it, and what we call that is structure. And that's how are you going to be receiving that $10 million 
from the buyer? Well, you might receive some in cash. Gosh, I, I hope so, right? That Because the cash is what the money that hits your wire at closing, hit, hits your bank account at closing through a wire. You could receive some of that benefit enrolled equity into that buyer's DSO. You could receive some of that benefit in retained equity in the business you are selling, sometimes called joint venture equity. And they even could say, uh, and you're going to receive some of that in an earnout if and when you hurt, hit certain hurdles. But what I'm getting to here, Tim, is a, a 10x. When, when someone says I got 10x, what, the next question you should always ask is, yeah, but what's the structure? Give me the like what? Because 10x is just cocktail conversation. It's just like just telling me you produced this much dentistry. I don't care how much dentistry you produced. How much did you collect? And after that, how much did it cost you to collect that? And what was your profitability? Uh, I, I get this all day on, well, I get it regularly. It's a regular phone conversation to have. And the one thing I like to share is, Doc, if, if you'll share with me your numbers, I'd like to take a look at them. And then I can tell you right now, I will pay you 25 times your EBITDA so long as you let me structure the deal. Mm-hmm. Right? So I, I, wanna, I really want to shine a bright light in a place that I think gets too much attention. Where we really should be focusing our attention is on the structure and the cash flows that come along with transactions like these. Yep. No, so so true. I, I wrote a piece a while ago looking at, you know, it's not necessarily the the sale price that matters. It's what's going to go in your pocket net after everything's taken care of. Like, like, right, does is that number enough? Right. If you get right. paid $50 million, but you're left with two, that was a terrible deal. That's right. Yep. That's right. Yeah. So Tim, I think you're right. Like you EBITDA is interesting, right? So it's, it's earnings before interest on debt, taxes, which which don't really quite play a role in the dental world unless, you, unless you're in a state that has uh, has has some weird tax. Like Texas has it, then California has it as well. New York has it. Uh, depreciation, which is the fixed asset related to the fixed assets, and amortization related to any goodwill of practices you may purchase. What EBITDA really tells you is it does not care how much debt you have on balance sheet. It does not care if you have ADEC shares or shares from China. Does not care. It's all about cash flow and valuation doesn't care about how much debt you have on balance sheet either. So to your point, if I'm going to pay you $10 million for your business, that sounds sexy. But if you have $9 million worth of debt, you're going to net one and then have to pay to Uncle Sam. That is not sexy. Yep. Very true. And actually, you know, Renee's jumping in again with another question and Right. She's asking, do you cover capital gains when selling? And so I, th- I think what she's getting at, and Renee, if you want to clarify that a little, I, I think you're looking at, right, how do you plan for the tax part, right? H- how do you really work on structuring these deals? Because I don't know about you, Kevin, but I get calls sometimes with someone who says, I just signed a deal to sell. What can I do to mitigate my taxes? <laughs> and it's like at that point, you know, we're kind of behind the eight ball, but a little bit of planning ahead of the curve before you sign term sheets can actually go a long way. So, so how are you helping advise on some of that pre-sale planning and tax mitigation strategies? Uh, Tim, I'll start by saying I, I, you, you operate in a world that is, is great to answer the prepping piece of this. I am not a tax advisor. I am not a CPA. I am not a financial planner. I will say that people who spend time with their planners in advance of a sale pay less taxes in the long run. That, that I can that I can guarantee, and they do tax planning with respect to, you know, setting up setting up trusts uh, for their children, allocating some of the proceeds of the or some of the shares of the business to their children, 
in that trust, having that pass through to them. So there are a lot of things you can do on that, that side of the, of the coin. Um, I am not an expert in those things. So work with an expert on that. Yeah. With respect to the exit though, that enterprise value of 10 million that we've been talking about, um, again, tip of the iceberg stuff below the waterline is the allocation of that enterprise value between goodwill or intangible assets and fixed assets. And what's really important about that is uh, fixed, if, if, if I'm selling my business to you, Tim, um, and we allocate $2 million to fixed assets, I pay ordinary income tax rates on that $2 million. On the $8 million, I pay long-term capital gains. So that, that's a vast difference in what my, what my blended tax rate is going to be. And, and the reality is this is negotiated. When you're doing a doctor-to-doctor -doctor trade, the buying doctor wants as much as possible allocated to fixed assets, not because he wants you to pay more, but because he can depreciate those more quickly and receive the tax benefits sooner. Uh, but in a, in a doctor to DSO transaction, we have a little more flexibility there because they're not looking to write off all those fixed assets as quickly. So it is certainly a negotiated point in every one of our transactions. Wow. So, so okay. So kind of coming back to, to Renee's question, right? She says you're providing great info and she was curious about the capital gains. And so really from just your standpoint, right? If you let's assume they're just working with you, you can get in that negotiation piece between the, the goodwill and you can really help drive those allocations so that more of it's allocated towards long-term capital gains instead of ordinary income and a more favorable tax rate for the seller. Yeah, we, we save our clients, you know, between 20 to hundreds of thousands, $20,000 to hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in transactions like this. Um, and if, if, you are, if you're not armed with that knowledge and you can point to comps and other transactions and how you've done deals in the past, you, you can't, it's kind of like bringing a knife to a gunfight, right? You, you, you need to be armed with all the information that an advisor can provide you so you can get the best deal possible. Yeah. So, so once again, just going back to that idea of you want an advocate in your corner, you want someone working for you, defending you and watching out for the pitfalls that you don't know that are there. Yeah, it's there's, I'll tell you, there's those, those buyers do this all day, every day, right? That is their full-time job. And you look at the organization, there's a business development person, there's a CEO, there's a CFO, there's an operations person, there's a team of lawyers, there's a private equity company backing them. I mean, they're good at what they do. And, and what we do is really level the playing field. Um, our team is seasoned investment bankers, private equity groups, two, two of my team members have worked on the buy side for DSO, so they know the way they think. And it's like having a whole army support you when we're able to work with the client. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's such a good point you just brought out is these DSOs, the, the people who you are talking to, this is their full-time job is to get deals done. It's not like they're saying, oh, you know, I think I got a deal today and I don't know what I'm doing. This is all they do every day. And really having someone who understands that world is so important. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not painting them as evil at mm -hmm. all, at all. Like we, we're all in business. We're all, we're all going to tr try to make a living here. Um, but they are, they're actually financially rewarded in their bonus systems, the less they pay for practices. I mean, it's, it's, it's a clear alignment for them to pay less. Yeah. Well, and right. If I was the buyer, I would do the same thing. 
And of so, course, you know, yeah. I don't, I don't spite them. I just, yeah. I, again, we just, we just want to bring more of that value to our client. You want to level the playing field. And so you got it. Yeah, no, this has been such an incredible conversation. We've talked about just the landscape, how we got to where we are. We've been talking about some of the pitfalls. We've been talking about the, the valuation issues. So what else would you say to a doctor who who's considering or looking at this, right? How do they get started or where can they even go for more resources? Yeah, great question. Um, Tim, we, we like you are, are a great believer in education and giving away information because it's, it's, it's important that everyone know what's happening. Uh, on our website, uh, tusk-partners.com, we regularly publish blogs, have access to all of our webinars. Uh, they, we just put out a, a four-part podcast about really what you need to be thinking about during a transition. We even did one on DSO deal vocabulary for words like EBITDA, enterprise value, hold co-equity, JV equity. So if you've heard some words that you're like, man, I wish I knew more about that, that's on the pod. So you can go listen to that on the pod. Uh, that that to me is is we, we want to we want everybody to have that and listen to that and learn from that. And then if you have questions, just pick up the phone and give us a call. Shoot us an email. We, we are in the business of education first and foremost. Excellent. Yeah. And I just put the, the link to the podcast. If you want to check that out, please do. It's an incredible resource and you will learn a lot and, and come armed. Right. You want the knowledge. You, you want to be able to make better decisions for yourself, for the people you love, and, and for those causes you care about. And and really, the more you arm yourself, the better off you're going to be. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's, look, there's no better time to own a dental practice than today. And it's just like the stock market. I, 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 you, you can't time your exit. Valuations today, I, I was, we were just talking before the pod, before the webinar with Tim, our clients this year, on average, are enjoying the highest exit multiples they've ever enjoyed, bigger than the year before, higher than the year before that, but that shouldn't be the deciding factor on you selling your business. It really should be a holistic look at your entire balance sheet to make that well-informed decision. And that's, I mean, that, that, that's where we get great exits. Yep. No, it, it's so true. I had a, a client last year exit several locations, wonderful deal. And, you know, they're staying on. They're, they're young, but they said, you know what, I want to want to take some of the risk off the table because owning a risk is, you know, a business is risky. And I can get enough out of this deal that my family's absolutely taken care of. And I never got to worry about money again. And I can stay keep working. And, and so it was, you know what, I'm going to de-risk my business. and I'm going to let someone else take that risk. And for them, it made all the sense in the world. And so I, I love that, that that's your focus is getting clear on what's important to you and letting that drive your decisions. Yeah, 100%, 100%. Yeah, so any closing thoughts before we uh, sign off here, Kevin? Yeah, I, I guess I, I just, I guess what I would say is, uh, People ask, what inning are we in in consolidation? What's the future look like? What, when you peer into your crystal ball, what, what, what is what is it going to be like 5, 10, 15 years from now? Uh, the best data I can tell, I can give you is we're somewhere between 30 to 32% consolidated today. Uh, and, and the rate of that consolidation continues to trend up faster and faster. I think at some point we'll probably trip over 50 to 60%, but that there's always room and I believe will always be space for the individual dentist to hang a shingle, build a business and be a business owner in America today. Uh, this, this, there is room for all. 
and, and there's not one right way or wrong way to do it. Um, so I, I feel I feel good and confident that there's room for both on the go forward basis here in our economy. Excellent. And, and once again, you, you don't have to rush, do you? You, you want to certainly move towards what you're doing, but you don't have to get it done in the next 24 hours, do you? You just need a plan, right? So every every business owner needs a plan. They need to know kind of wh where they're going, wh when they want to exit, what their number is, and, and they need to reevaluate that on an annual basis when they're going through their numbers with their financial planner and say, how did the market do? How did my real estate do? How the business do? How's the business valuation? Could I exit today? Oh, I could. Okay, well, I, maybe I'll do one more year. I'll pad the retirement account, and then we'll begin the conversation. I, I just every business owner, irrespective of industry, needs to be th always building a business that is built to sell and have an eye on what the valuation world looks like. Because I just I, you'll sleep better at night armed with that knowledge. Yeah, so true. Well, hey, Kevin, thank you for sharing so generously with us. And and I know I certainly have a much, much better understanding of what's going on in the marketplace and, and really how to sell your business on your terms and to do it without a regret. We certainly have a deeper understanding of the, the market and what it means to exit at the top, which is really exiting on your terms. And uh, you've certainly have helped empower us to make even better decisions when it comes to planning our exit. So thank you once again for sharing so generously. Tim, thanks for having me. It's been a real treat. Thank you so much. Excellent. And until next time, we'll see you again here soon on Dental Wealth Nation. You've been listening to Dental Wealth Nation. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from the show. Join us next time as we pull back the curtain to reveal the often hidden advice and strategies used by today's most successful individuals and families and help maximize your net worth so you can take even better care of the people you love. Till next time, make sure to hit the website at DentalWealthNation.com. 